on this week's St. Victory Pod, Victor and I continue our MLB positional ranks, this week focusing on left field. But after that, it's all about the big game. It's Super Bowl Sunday, people. Rams, Bengals. Victor and I celebrate the only way we know how with a little good old friendly competition, head-to-head Super Bowl props edition. Did I make all the props to favor myself? You'll have to listen to find out, but let's just say I think I have a pretty good shot of extending my winning streak to three games. Sound those victory trumpets. So we're going to try and keep it simple, keep it fun, but just a warning to the listeners. I don't know what's about to come out of my mouth today. How are you feeling? I feel pretty similarly. Uh, might be a little low, lower energy than usual, but we're going to have a good episode today. I feel it. Okay. You know, you, you never know. This could be our Michael Jordan flu game. Not saying, you know, either of us have the flu, but <laughs> from an energy level, but let's see if we can bring it today. But I've got to jump right in, Victor. I, I never actually discussed disclose the final score to you but i did end up beating you in the pro bowl challenge it was extremely close i actually accidentally deleted the score so i don't even remember the scores at this point what i do know is that me and you are within two points and the best of the rest team was like six points behind you so it was basically a wash um i'm still counting it as an official win that's a win streak (laughs) of two for me now um and you picked that game so Feel a little bit good about that one, even though it was a little lucky. That's not even counting, you know, Mac Jones' seventy-yard touchdown run. Did you did you see that run? I did not see that run. You haven't seen it. How could you? You haven't seen the the play where Mac Jones the whistle blows after he gets two hand touch. Okay, wait, pause before I continue the <laughs> Mac Jones story. I actually watched some of the Pro Bowl. Did you uh, this year? Did you have an opportunity no, to watch any of it? I did okay. not. I remember messaging you. I'm like, I'm watching the Pro Bowl right now, and I'm very confused. I had I had no idea what was happening, and this is why. So I had the game on mute. The first thing was like, it's not tackle football. I don't know when this happened, if this is a modern development of the game, but it straight up is two-hand touch. I don't know if that's officially in the rules or not, but I don't think I saw more than one tackle, and the one tackle I saw was kind of like an accidental thing. So it was two-hand touch football. So they were in full pads, helmets, everything, but it was two-hand touch. So that, that right there already i was confused but the next thing is you know i normally when i'm watching a game that i have on mute it's because i'm doing something else so i'm not paying the closest attention but i still have a general idea of like who has the ball where they all where they are on the field what just happened at multiple points during this game it seemed like like a team was like transported across the field randomly they were they were skipping like possessions and i come to find out later this week that the Pro Bowl was experimenting with um, the new overtime rules that the Baltimore, or sorry, they're not the new rules, but the rules that the Baltimore Ravens proposed, which is basically one team picks a yard line and the other team picks offense or defense. So what was happening is I was seeing a team do a drive and they're like, here, let's test this out. Some team picked like the three yard line and the same team said, okay, we're going to also take the ball on offense. So I'm just seeing two drives in a row from the same team. I, I, I haven't muted, so I'm entirely confused i'm like how did they get backed up all the way on the three why is it first and 10 it was it was a trippy experience i don't know if i'll ever be watching a pro bowl again 
Yeah, I was not watching this game. I did hear, though, about how it did not seem as though they were actually tackling people. And like you, I have no idea whether that's a new thing or if that's just how it's been for a while now. But I don't really plan on watching Pro Bowls in the future either. Did you? We talked a little bit about possibly watching the Skills Challenge. Did you watch any of that? I ended up not. Um, okay. The skills challenge is more interesting to me just because it's, you know, a little more fun, but did not watch it this year. I did watch some of the skill challenge highlights, mostly because I wanted to see how Mac Jones did. I'm not going to comment on that. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing I saw there gave me any confidence that he can become Joe Burrow. That's what I see his ceiling as is where Joe Burrow currently is. So nothing I saw said, you know, it's possible. And so I'm just going to block that out of my brain. He looked like he was having fun. I'm glad Mac Jones was there. I think, I don't even know how he got there. I think he's about the 10th best quarterback in the AFC. There were some guys who just who chose not to come. I think. Well, okay. I know actually how he got there, but the fact that the Pro Bowl <laughs> has gotten to a spot where like approximately the eighth to 10th best quarterback is, is representing the AFC and has the highlight of the game. I can't believe you didn't see it. It was all over my Twitter, but that's a concerning spot for the Pro Bowl. But anyway, that's enough football talk. Uh, I did have a couple of house cleaning um, items, if you will, regarding baseball. We talked a little bit last time about uh, TGFBI. So the leagues have been announced for that. I wanted to just know, do you have a good understanding of the players within your league? And uh, how's that making you feel? Uh, I only recognized maybe four or five names from my league mates i'm in league five for those who don't know but uh it does seem i know justin mason in his in the uh run-up to announcing the league said he was trying to make the leagues as evenly distributed in terms of experience as possible so i i mean just based off of my league i feel like uh it's fairly evenly distributed between newer and uh, older folks in terms of how long they've been in the industry but in terms of their fantasy uh uh their the way they lean in drafting and things like that i don't really have much of much of a reference for anyone else in the league yeah so i believe what i heard is what he did is he has the all-time historical performance and then he basically did a, a snake draft where in league one he put the best player in league two he put the second best player and all the way down to i think there's like 30 something leagues then he wrapped back around he did that and then he started moving people around to uh, factor in kind of what you were just talking about, make sure the experience is a little even making, making sure there's not a league with the example he kept giving was like nine pitcher list uh, contributors. Apparently they make up at like 50 of the players. And so there was one league that had quite a few members from pitcher list. So I did think I saw that you were in a league with another SP streamer writer though. So at least he kept, Mm -hmm. kept that together. I did hear some rumblings that league five year league is decent. I don't know anything about my league. I know maybe two or three names. The one name I obviously know is uh, Tristan Cockroft is from ESPN is in my league. I'm league 24. There seems to be some good names um, in there, but I mean, you don't know until, until we start drafting. I'm sorry Mm -hmm. to, to my league, but I just don't know many of them, but I'm excited for it. I'm excited to challenge myself, but I'm actually participating in my first draft right now. It's a draft and hold uh, 50 teamer through the SP streamer discord that I actually kind of got sucked into. I was talking smack to Simeon and to Andy Carlson, (laughs) a a member of our discord and they kind of, I don't, I mean, you can't force someone to join a league, but it felt like it. And so I'm currently doing my first draft. Have you done a draft so far? 
I have not done a draft to this point. Um, I think TGFBI is probably going to be my first of the year, barring a change in plans. Yeah, I've not been drafting so far. I have a big uh, auction coming up in a 30-team dynasty league. It's my favorite league that I'm in. That's coming up Saturday. So I'm actually glad I had this draft kind of just to get me back in the mood of how this works. But, I mean, obviously, snake draft dynasty doesn't compare to – or, sorry, snake draft um, redraft league, draft and hold versus uh, daily dynasty 30-team league. Those barely compare at all, but at least my brain's in the the mood of, like, quickly updating my Excel sheet and whatnot. (laughs) But I wanted what I wanted to do real quick is is read through some of my picks. I wanted to, I wanted you to give you the opportunity to basically roast my team. So the first thing I have to know. So I'm I'm in pick six. I feel great about this pick. I think that's one of the top spots I would choose. And the reason why is I think there are five clear top hitters that I that I'm interested in. That's uh, Juan Soto, Trey Turner, Fernando Tatis Jr., Jose Ramirez, and Bo Bichette. Those are like my top five. I love I would love to get one of them in every draft. Now, I, ha- I was under the assumption that Garrett Cole always goes in the top six. Well, that didn't happen in the draft I was in. So it went uh, those five hitters, and um, then it comes to me. And so, of course, the whole joke was like, how many Yankees am I going to take? I'm not going to take many, I'll tell you that, although I did end up taking one, but it wasn't Garrett Cole. So what I did is I ended up reaching basically an entire round. This is a 15-teamer uh, league, mind you, and took Max Scherzer with my first pick at pick six. Oh, wow. I think I'm probably one of the only people in the industry who has Scherzer as their top starting pitcher. Um, but at that point, I was kind of like, I'm just going to take who I have as the best player instead of worrying about can I get them out um, at the turn. And I don't think with the way the draft went out, I would have been able to get Scherzer at my next pick. So I took Scherzer there. Then I ended up taking my New York Yankee. I was uh, targeting Luis Ro- uh, Robert with my second pick. Is it Robert or, or Robert? You're the, you're the names guy. In the pod. Uh, it's fluctuated. I, as of right now, I think the White Sox announcer say Robert. Hasn't he himself, Luis Robert, said his name both ways? Yes. Okay. So what we're going to go with Luis Robert with what the White Sox announcer is saying. He got picked the pick before me. It was a long shot for me to get him anyway, but that was kind of my plan A, and I didn't have a plan B. So once again, I'm kind of like, what am I going to do? I then take Aaron Judge. Another a guy I reached about a round on. Um, but then from that point forward, I feel like I've gotten some pretty good value. I have Tim Anderson as my shortstop from the White Sox. I have Paul Goldschmidt as my first baseman, someone that I think both of us were surprised how good the underlying metrics are for him when we were doing our first base rankings. That's what kind of first put me on to Goldschmidt. Um, then I have Kevin Gossman. The plan was on the wraparound to take Ryan Presley and get my my first relief pitcher. But what ended up happening, Presley was still there, but Joe Musgrove fell and we were on like SP29, which I think is way too low for Musgrove. So I ended up taking Musgrove. So I have Scherzer, Gosman, and Musgrove. And then my la- latest pick, I've taken uh, Kettle Marte. So I just want to know, am I, am I off to a good start in my first draft? Or I started reaching early and you can already see the effects. I like the group as a whole. I think Musgrove's a really good value. I think Atel Marte has a really good value where you got him. Um, I'm not sure about Scherzer as the sixth overall player. I probably would have gone Cole, maybe Burns at that point, Um, maybe even Otani um, or Vlad. Yeah, I think. I don't think I would have taken Scherzer in their first round. I don't but... think Otani because it's a weekly lineup, so and you have to kind of pick or choose with him. That yeah, I mean, even just offensively, Otani could give you 40-20 potentially. 
but regardless, I think as a whole, I think um, I think he did pretty well to this point. I feel pretty good about about my team. I, we've talked before. I'm not one who's going to reach on steel, steals, and so I am a little bit low in steals right now. But Tim Anderson was really a good pick. I think the plan is I'm going to try and reach around early on Cabrian Hayes and um, Ahmed Rosario to kind of sure up some steals, but my team's got a really high batting average right now. So I think I'm just going to roll with that. See, see what ends up happening. I, I like, I like the start. I think you're right. That Scherzer was a weird pick, but end, it's ended up kind of working out for me. Um, and then I might punt saves because there's no overall component. So we'll see what I do there, but trying to kill some time because we don't have much planned for you. We have two basic things planned for you. The, the one uh, we've been doing every week, we've been going through our positional rankings in the MLB this week. We're finally in the outfield and we're going to be doing left fielders, which was extremely tricky. There's not last week. If you were listening, we basically had complete consensus over our, was it our shortstop rankings? There was literally a range from like 15 to 10 that we were in complete agreement, but okay. this ranking basically no agreement. Um, so it'll be interesting to go over that. I, I think uh, the other problem that I have with left field is who even is a left fielder. The outfielders tend to move around a lot. So when I'm looking up their games played, it's like most, some of these guys split pretty evenly between the two corner outfield spots. So that was tricky. That was a whole extra component as far as left field comes. Um, but we'll go ahead and get into that now. So we'll start with where we have been starting each time. And that's with our bottom 10. We're doing our top 30. And again, I say this as much as I remember to say it, this is not fantasy rankings. Yes, we're, in, we're involved in the fantasy community. Yes, I just did my top 100 <laughs> outfielders for the SP Streamer Draft Kit, which is coming out this weekend. Pretty excited for that. But this is not fantasy. This is our real life values. So there's going to be some differences because of that. So starting out with number 30, of the Cleveland Guardians, it's Stephen Kwan. Victor had him ranked. I did not have him ranked. That's nothing against him. I actually found left field to be much better than I thought it would be when I started. There's not like a real clear elite left fielder in my opinion, but it's pretty solid all the way down. Um, number 29 is Alex Dickerson, who is currently a free agent. Had a really good 2020 in a, in a shortened span. It's been a platoon bat for the Giants since then. He's now a free agent. Will he get extra playing time? Will he stay in his platoon role? I'm not sure. Number 28 is David Peralta. This is our biggest disagreement in our entire rankings. Victor has him all the way up at 22nd. No, I shouldn't say all the way up, but he has him <laughs> at 22nd. I do not have him ranked. I like Peralta a lot, but kind of the approach I take is I there's a group of young left fielders, I guess, that I just kind of slapped onto the bottom and said, this is where I'd rank these guys. And in this order, and Peralta happened to be the last of like the older outfielders I had. So he kind of got the, the cutoff. Um, but that's why David Peralta is down in 20. He's truthfully probably better than that. I'm just giving some, I guess, upside to the younger guys. Now, speaking of the younger guys, number 27, it's Joe Adele. Number 26, it's Lamonte Wade Jr., part of the platoon in San Francisco. Is he going to play full-time this year? It remains to be seen. Moving on, number 25, kind of a second-half breakout after he switched teams. He's now on the Washington Nationals. It's Lane Thomas. And, yes, if you're expecting Juan Soto to be ranked, we do not have him ranked in left field. We have Lane Thomas ranked in left field instead for the Nationals. Number 24, another free agent. It's Jock Peterson, a World Series champion. It'll be interesting to see where he signs and how much playing time he gets. The number 23, it's kind of everyone's favorite sleeper in fantasy, but this isn't fantasy. It's Colorado Rockies, Connor Joe. 
Number 22, another free agent, Andrew McCutcheon. And then finally rounding out this grouping at 21, it's Austin Hayes. Victor, let's start right there with number 20, 21, Austin Hayes. You're the high guy on Hayes. But before the podcast, I was telling you how much I like Hayes and how much it hurt for me to have to drop him down and down because I just couldn't make a case to justify having him higher. I ended up I ended up having him six spots higher. And then you tell me that you do not like Austin Hayes. So what do you think is going on here? What, what has um, Hayes all the way up at 19 for you when you aren't even that high on him? I think Hayes is one of those players who gets some sneaky value in ways that may not show up on, on a triple slash line. He's a solid corner outfielder. He's not a bad base runner. He has some power uh, and his war value in 2021 ended up being better than some of the veteran players who I probably initially would have thought were better players like a Tommy fam, uh, like David Peralta. So I think between the age and the projections and the production, he's probably something like a top 20 left fielder, even you, though I, I'm not a big fan of the profile. It's interesting because I had him all the way down at 25, but I agree with everything you're saying. And I do think where we ended up having him at 21 is great. I just come into this kind of defensively. Like I have to be able to defend my position with Victor. So he just kept falling because there's not much at the top level, kind of those stats we like to point out, such as like his WRC plus, it's not going to be the strongest for Hayes, but I do really like Hayes. I do think he's one of the more underrated players on this list. So Austin Hayes, number 21. Now, right below him, Andrew McCutcheon, who's currently not signed. I guess let's start there. Do you think he gets signed to an everyday role? Uh, I think the way that uh, free agency is going to go after the lockout, I don't think he's going to have an everyday role waiting for him once uh, once the lockout ends. Uh, but I would not be surprised if he found himself playing every day at some point over the course of the season, just through attrition and things like that, because uh, he still has the the uh, skill set of someone who can play majority of games one healthy. Victor, do you know how many seasons in Andrew McCutcheon's pretty long career at this point, he's had a WRC plus below 100, meaning below league average? Zero. Zero. He's been an above league average every single year he has played, which kind of blew my mind when I first saw that. I don't actually know how that's happened. He's not someone who's really talked about anymore. He used to be talked about a lot. But I kind of use McCutcheon as my gauge of like every player I have above McCutcheon, I consider solid, uh, definitely good. Every um, player I had below, I had either questions about or I didn't see as necessarily a full time player. So McCutcheon for me ranked right around this range. I think you were a little lower on him, but don't sleep on Andrew McCutcheon. He may be getting old. He is clearly regressing year after year, but he's he's been a league above average hitter for quite some time now. Let's talk about one other player in this range of someone we have complete agreement on. It's Lane Thomas of the Washington Nationals. How much are you buying into his second half? How much are you considering his stats when he was at St. Louis, which were quite underwhelming when he did get the opportunity to play? We have Lane Thomas at 25, by the way. Uh, I'm not really buying into Lane Thomas's performance that much with the Nationals. I do think it's kind of reflected in where we ended up having him ranked towards the end of the uh, towards the end of the list in the top 30. Uh, it's just his lack of um, really track record. The projections aren't very positive about him. He's kind of a tweener in terms of 
his contact ability is solid, but not great. His uh, quality of contact is solid, but not great. I could see him turning into something like an Austin Hayes, where he has some sneaky value in ways that don't show up in a triple slash line. Uh, he has solid uh, patience at the plate, and he can play a decent left field. But I don't see there there is much upside long term. My dynasty shares, and it's in this 30-team dynasty league I was talking about earlier, that they're in pain hearing all that about Liam Thomas, but I'm in complete agreement with you. I just had to offer him a contract. Actually, I, I think I only gave him maybe one or two years. I can't remember exactly, but for how cheap I have him, I think a lot of people will be surprised when our keepers roll out, which is later tonight, to see how low of a contract I gave Lane Thomas. I just have some questions. It's been half a season. It's not even been half a season of solid production for him. So I'm not ready to call him a solid, for sure, good left fielder just yet. But I think for the rest of, from this point forward, I might be willing to say that about all these guys. So Let's get into it. Starting at number 20, we're going to go through 20 from, from 20 to 16 here. Starting at number 20, another free agent. There's a lot of free agents on this list. Eddie Rosario, uh, number 19 of the Chicago Cubs. It's Ian Happ. Number 18, another free agent. It's Tommy Pham. Number 17, Andrew Benintendi of the Kansas City Royals. Made a great catch that helped the Red Sox win the World Series had a miserable 2020 for the Red Sox. That's the last thing I remember of him. So I tend to not like Benintendi as much as maybe I should, but we ended up having complete agreement. We both ranked him 17th. He comes in here at 17th. And then finishing out this range and number 16th of the Detroit Tigers. It's another guy that I love that I tend to be really high on, but I'm way low on him compared to Victor. It's Robbie Grossman of the Detroit Tigers. So let's start with Grossman. This is our second biggest disagreement actually tied with Tommy Pham. So we'll go to Tommy Pham next, but with Robbie Grossman, what made you put him as a borderline top 10 left fielder? I think uh, it's the on-base ability. I think he, he has solid power now before, uh, before 2020, he was punchless, but uh, I think now he has solid power only slug 415 but that was good enough to get him to a 337 woba uh, and i think but the combination of being able to get on base uh with a legitimate power threat makes him a pretty good player he put up 2.7 wins uh, per fan graphs in 2021 i think he'll probably be in that range between 2 and 2.5 next year i think at a position like left field where there are a lot of players who are either complete defensive liabilities or complete on base liabilities Grossman kind of stands out as someone who is fairly good in both of those categories. Yes, I really like Grossman as a player. If this were fantasy rankings, I would certainly have him much higher. I don't know why I would be doing left field rankings. Not very many <laughs> leagues do that, but if we were, Grossman would be way higher. Um, but oh, let's actually, let's stay a little longer here on the Detroit Tigers outfield specifically. I guess the first question is, do you think when, and I can't believe I'm blanking, Who's uh, their their prospect? Not totally Riley so. Green. Riley Green. Thank you. Obviously, when Riley Green gets called up, do you think their outfield will be Grossman, Green, but do all three everyday players? So, actually, I have a second question. But let's start there. Uh, I have some questions about whether Akil Badu can handle left-handed pitching as consistently as would be required to be an everyday player. Uh, but I think those would be the three guys getting the most reps in the outfield when Riley Green gets up there. I agree, and I think that that's an important point. Uh, uh, Badu is someone who's been getting a lot of hype, uh, hype lately, but I think 
those will be the three. And I think if one of them, if Grossman or Badu isn't the one that gets the majority of the playing time, it's, well, I think they'll all get the majority, but if there's one that's going to lose some, it's more likely to be Badu in my opinion, specifically because of his platoon struggles. So I don't know. I really like Robbie Grossman. I think he's pretty locked into a role there in Detroit. Now there's one other player in this range. He's a free agent who we also have a pretty big, big disagreement on. You have him low all the way down at 21st. I have him up at 13th. I, I guess my question is, are you just low in general on Tommy fam? Is this have a lot to do with the uncertainty of where he'll be playing? Why do you have Tommy fam outside the top 20 left fielders? I think uh, it's mostly to do with the age. I view him fairly similarly to David Peralta. Uh, they're the same age. Uh, obviously, Fam at his at the top of his game was a much better player, but between 2020 and 2021, he's really struggled to hit for power, struggled to stay on the field, uh, struggled to be consistent. So I think it might be age catching up to him a little bit, which is why I ended up putting him, uh, I think, in a range where I had some older players, some players who I have questions about whether they can put up a legitimately really a legitimately good 650 plate appearances that is interesting how old is tommy fam 34 this season okay yeah i guess i didn't fully factor in some uh, negative regression coming in there for fam because of his age i think that's a really solid point and actually a really simple explanation for some of his struggles lately and if you know occam's razor it's often the simplest explanation that is the best it's, I think everyone thinks of David Peralta as an older player. I called him an older player earlier. Maybe not as many would say Tommy Pham is. I don't think many would say that he's necessarily young, but he's someone whose kind of career was put in the baseball spotlight, you know, not, not the actual world spotlight, but the baseball spotlight, the people who really follow baseball towards a, a later point in his career than you would expect some of these, or you would expect for a, a player to kind of just break out onto the scene like Pham. But Let's move on to our top 15 now. Starting at 15th, it's Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Lourdes, Lourdes, Lourdes. Lourdes, yeah. Lourdes, okay. Guriel Jr., number 14. It's Atlanta Braves left fielder. Going to leave it at that. Number 13, it's Jesus Sanchez of the Miami Marlins. Number 12, Mark Canna of the New York Mets, someone who also kind of had a, a late career breakout similar to Pham. And then number 11 of Victor's Tampa Bay Rays, it's Austin Meadows. Let's start with the young guy of the group, Jesus Sanchez of the Miami Marlins. Are you excited for Sanchez this year in the MLB? I think intrigued would be the word rather than excited. I really want to see if he could show some improvement with the strikeout rate. Uh, I believe he struck out over 31% of the time. Uh, in 2021, in the minor leagues, he was more in the low t- low 20s and teens when it came to the strikeout rate. Um, and he, he improved uh, over the course of the season when it came to not chasing pitches. So I think Sanchez has some offensive skill sets that make him very intriguing for the upcoming season. He has a lot of raw power, even though he tends to hit a lot of balls on the ground. But I think he the tools give him a ceiling that could be very exciting offensively, but I'm more tempering my expectations because he has some serious flaws and he's a bad defender. So that'll cap, um, that'll give him a pretty low floor if he doesn't start hitting like the tools might suggest he could. 
I don't have his projections up in front of me, but I believe they project him for around 120 games. I think that's pretty low. I think I would expect more like 140 for um, Jesus Sanchez. And I think as a whole, he's someone who's being under projected for that reason. But you outline a good reason that he might not get playing time. And that is his poor defense, but he's young. The Marlins, I expect, will try to be giving him playing time anyways. We'll see. I'm I'm excited. I am also intrigued, but I am excited for Jesus Sanchez. Now, someone else in this range I just want to touch on real quick. I'm a Red Sox fan. You're a Rays fan. So we both have to deal with, and yes, deal with Toronto Blue Jays fans and their like immense optimism about their team. They always, I mean, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I find they think every single player on their team is like the top guy at every position. And so I've, I can already hear the Blue Jays fans like, oh my goodness, you have Lourdes Gurriel Jr. at 15. The dude's a stud. So real quick, just explain to them why he's not a top 10 left fielder and he's ranks closer to 15. I think it's um, just a lack of big time performance consistently. Obviously, if you go over the course of, of his career, he hasn't had a 600 plate appearance season so far. But uh, the he's peaked at 1.8 WAR in an 84 game season in 2019. He's been a very streaky offensive player. He's not a very good defender. Uh, I think he's a good hitter. I think his projections and his career offensive numbers are fairly are fair for what we would we should expect from him around the 110 to 115 way to runs created plus but I don't think that type of offense is enough to overcome or nest or make him more than a two-ish 2.5 win player uh, which I think for us is somewhere in the 15 range of a player because uh, he's not a very good defender he's not adding much on the base paths and he hasn't been able to consistently put up big time offensive numbers for long stretches at least at this point all right one other player in this range and i have a challenge for you victor and i think the betting odds would say you might fail this challenge because every time i say real quick i get a full well-explained paragraph from you and i love that about you always have a lot to say about people i'm i'm just i'm not even really telling you like we're going to talk about this player and you always got a lot to say but i really do just want a yes or a no on this question let's see if you can do it Yes or no, was Mark Canna, who we have ranked 12th, a good addition this offseason for the Mets? Yes. There we go. Well done, Victor. Yes, he was. Good job, Mets. I like some of the moves you're making this offseason. Now, moving into our top 10, and we'll focus a little more on each of these players. At number 10, I'm happy to report it's Boston Red Sox, Alex Verdugo. Did I have a lot to do with him making the top 10? Maybe. (laughs) I don't want to focus on that. Really what I want to focus on, and it's just something I need to get off my chest, but Fangraphs does their their projections and kind of how they do it is they take each position. Uh, I'm talking when I say their projections, their their projections for the standings, which have the Red Sox as fourth in the AL East. And the thing I keep hearing from them is their left field position is projecting as negative war. That's because Fangraphs, your roster resources, has the left fielder as Jaron Duran. It is not. It is Alex Verdugo. He's a positive war player. I don't know. I really, I can't even explain why you have Verdugo over in right field. He's a left fielder. He's played a left field the majority of his career. And so like, I just want to address that right, right here, put a stop on that fourth in the division is low and the Red Sox do have a positive four left fielder. Me and Victor ranks him his top 10. Was that, I don't know, a little bit high because I'm a little biased. I don't know, but moving on, not even gonna let Victor tell me it was a little high. Number nine, AJ Pollock of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now, 
he's a stud when he's healthy. Is he going to be healthy, Victor? Uh, that's a tough question to answer at this point in the season. I think with the DH, he has a better chance of being healthy for mm, for most of the season next year. Yeah, but he is like, how old is he? He's got to be getting up I there. I think he's 33 or 34. You, I think you would know that from how long he's been around. But, man, from his production, he is, he is so solid at the plate. It seems like the Dodgers are kind of just like that across the board. But really a big fan of what A.J. Pollock can do when he's healthy. Uh, moving on, number eight, another guy. I mean, how old is this guy, Victor? Michael Brantley of the Houston Astros. Uh, I don't even know. He's... 34 going to be 35 next year. Another guy that keeps delivering though. If you had to bet on Brantley versus Verdugo, who's going to have the higher batting average this year? Uh, I would have to bet on Brantley. Would you, would you have to? <laughs> I agree well, though. I do. Agree. <laughs> I mean, the projections seem to be in his favor. The track record. I mean, it's close, but let me I let me say Brantley's this though, real quick. Bet. Fantasy point: We're looking, uh, we're looking at projections. How many or do you have your, the projections up, or are you just saying off the top of your head? Because you are right, up. I'm pretty sure. How many, um, how many at bats? Because that's what matters with batting average. Is Michael Brantley projected for? Uh, Zips has him at four ninety four. Steamer has him at five oh six. Okay, and what about Verdugo? Zips has him at five fifty one, and Steamer has him as five forty eight. So nearly 50 more played or at bats, not played appearances at bats for Alex Verdugo. So I just want to say that if you're in fantasy baseball, Verdugo is <laughs> going to be the more valuable player from a batting average standpoint because of those 50 extra at bats of a similar batting average. So just want to throw that out there. But yes, Michael Brantley, eight, don't really have a problem with it. now. Number seven, this is someone I was shocked with how low I was on him. I wonder if you've had a similar experience. You had him one rank lower than me. It's Eloy Jimenez. Of the Chicago White Sox, Victor, is this lower than you were expecting when it came to Eloy? Not really. Um, I think a lot of people who probably weren't tuned into the White Sox in particular in 2021 probably didn't realize how bad he was. Uh, he was a league average bat with some of the worst defense in baseball. So I think that um, if you were tuned into what he was doing in 2021, it's probably not that that much of a stretch to see him not a top five left fielder, at least right now. Uh, obviously, what he did in 2020, his, pop, his prospect pedigree, his projections, uh, everything else looks like someone who's probably going to be a top five left fielder this season. But I think he has a little more to prove just because he, he, he was so not good last year. He put up 0.2 wins in 231 plate appearances, obviously coming off of an injury. But I think Eloy has a little to prove this year. So obviously Eloy Jimenez defense is a problem. I don't think we should expect it to become not a problem, but do you think his struggles offensively had anything to do with health last season? I think it probably had more to do with not being on the field than the injury itself. Obviously I'm not a doctor, but I could definitely see him not getting, um, not being on the field for that long. He may have had, uh, different conditioning. He probably wasn't in hit that in, in an offensive rhythm, like a lot of players who have been playing the entire season through August. So I think it's easy to try and um, to make legitimate reasons why he wasn't good offensively this year. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, it has to factor into the rankings. 
Moving on to number six, just missing our top five. Someone, Victor, that you had ranked third, and I have to ask, was it a little bit of Ray's bias? Because it is Randy Rosarena. Now, his 2021 stats weren't that bad, but the underlying metrics, like the expected average, the expected WOBA, were all like very underwhelming for kind of what I was expecting for him. But the projections still are relatively high on Rosarena, so there's something there to like. And I keep making this point that a lot of people want to act like a Rosarena can't hit, but we have to remember he is hitting every day in a lineup where they love to platoon players. And if they're letting him hit every day in Tampa Bay, they must believe in his hitting. And so I'm going to trust Tampa Bay's opinion about Randy Rosarena. They're hitting him very high in the lineup, mind you, over you know the fantasy baseballs. Uh, industry's opinion on Randy Rosarena as a hitter. But Victor, I didn't really let you talk down for Dugo to me. So I'm going to give you the opportunity uninterrupted to explain why Randy Rosarena is a top three left fielder. Go ahead, sing his praises. I think it came more down to the players who I thought were fringy in the top two or three, who I felt as though were more well-rounded, I guess, if that makes sense. I think Arena with his athleticism, um, he's a s- solid at getting on base. I uh, play some solid defense. He's a solid base runner, has power, hit for a good batting average. Obviously, uh, the expected stats didn't really buy into that, but I think some of that probably has to do with uh, expected stats not taking into account directionality of batted balls. So I think someone like Arena who uh, you can't shift him because he uses the whole field might be a, a little discounted. Uh, by something like X batting average. Uh, but I, I think uh, a Rosarena's, I think, I think, I feel like the top of the left field list is more of a tier than it is. Uh, and then the ordinal rankings matter if, if that makes sense. So I think a Rosarena, you probably could make the case that he's more four or five, six, maybe, but I had him three. Cause I just felt like the guys who I did have a little behind him, he's more well-rounded than. Victor dropping ordinal on us. What's the synced language? Yes, I love that mathematical term there, uh, meaning order. That's where ordinal comes from. But if yeah, you were like, wow, I can't believe that word just dropped out of his mouth. I was right there with you. But a Rosarena coming in at number six now. It's our top five. And starting off, he's still a free agent. It's future Boston Red Sox first baseman DH. Kyle Schwarber, just kidding. I don't think he's going to sign with the Red Sox. But Victor, I I think this kind of fits in with what you're just saying about this tier of left fielders. I'm not even like that high on Kyle Schwarber. I still have questions about like how legit he is as a hitter. I, I know what his ceiling is as a hitter now, or I know what he can do. I don't know how consistently he can do it, but Kyle Schwarber comes in at number five. I don't know what, I don't know how much more to say about him, honestly. Yeah, I think he's, a legitimately good hitter. Um, the projections have him between a 125 and 138 weighted runs created plus. Uh, that's going to be, that's really good. Um, yeah, I think he's a three win player um, and the top five left fielder. Probably going to be someone's DH. Should it be a universal DH next year? You would think, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but we're not doing DH and when he does play the field, unless he's on the Red Sox, because we have top <laughs> 10 left fielder, Alex Verdugo there. Uh, Kyle Schwarber plays left field. So number five, now number four, Oh, how the mighty have fallen, but have they really fallen that far? It's Christian Yelich. Victor, I had him ranked second, which is why is this high, but you had him ranked six. Are you just kind of 
out on Yelich at this point in his career? Do you think there's any of what we saw in 2018, 2019 still in Yelich's profile? I was not expecting to come out as low on him as I ended up coming out, but I think there's legitimate concern about whether the power is going to come back anywhere near what it was before this, uh, before 2019 or before the 2020 season. I think the fact that we, it was easy to give him a pass for not having a great 2020 season with everything that was odd about the season, but he came out in 2021 and was worse, uh, even with a better strikeout rate. I, I wasn't able to really justify putting him ahead of players who we've seen be productive the past two seasons, which is, uh, I guess, where I just come out on Yelich's outside of my top five. Yeah, Yelich's fall really makes no sense to me. I know he's not the youngest player in the world, but it's not like he was Peyton Manning's age when Peyton Manning just fell off a complete cliff. So I don't really know what's happening there. I still tend to think there's something in there for Yelich. And so I think we're both giving him the benefit of the doubt. Clearly I'm really giving him the benefit of the doubt um, by putting him second, but that has more to do with there really isn't like at some of the other positions we've had uh, a Vladdy, we've had a Joe Ram. We've had someone very clear at the top of the positional rankings last week at shortstop. We had Fernando Tatis jr. There isn't that player at uh, left field. In fact, our number one left fielder who we'll get to in a second, isn't the best left fielder in baseball. So I don't really know how that happened, but anyway, number three, Victor's best left fielder in baseball. And actually I'm looking at the rankings now, Victor, and there are these three people are tied, but the way I do the tiebreakers, how much agreement is between us. So really these next two, let's do them together. They're tied for second because the tie we're both three apart. Um, you have this player first. I have him fourth. That's Tyler O'Neill of the St. Louis Cardinals. I have this player first. You have him fourth. It's Jesse Winker of the, of the Cincinnati Reds. I guess this is two players that we're basically saying I we're buying into it, even though, I mean, their, their careers aren't necessarily that, especially in O'Neill's case that long. I don't know what gave you the, what made you confident to put O'Neill first overall in left field? I think it's the defense. I think it's the overall package. Um, I'm not confident that he's going to hit 286 again. Uh, that might hurt his OBP, but I, I think going into this point in his career, his age 27 season where most players are peaking, uh, I think O'Neal's at the point where I'm comfortable projecting him to be a well above average player who also plays gold glove defense at his position while being one of the better base runners. And I mean, it's so hard to overlook an 18% barrel rate when, uh, you know, the player is not, is going to be putting up good defensive numbers and good base running numbers too. So two questions for you on O'Neill. One, when it came down to it, you're kind of crunching the number on this top tiers. Uh, well, I just mixed my plural word there. <laughs> you're kind of crunching the numbers on this top tier singular. And you're looking at Tyler O'Neill. Did you give him the tiebreaker because he has such a sick nickname, Tyler Broneal? I've never even heard that nickname. Oh my goodness. Well, now it's going to be stuck in your head. And every time you see him, you're going to think of it because it's that great of a nickname, Tyler Broneal. My other question for him, um, for him more seriously, is his defense better? Because he is one of the, he might be the best defensive player we have on this list. Is it better than the player we have ranked first? I think it's close, but I would give O'Neal the edge. Wow. Okay. 
you're probably wondering who we do have number one. I don't like him. That's your first hint. But before we get there, we do have to talk about Jesse Winker, who I had number one. Now, Winker for me, I I really lo- looking back on this, maybe I was a little high. I think he is the best hitter on this list, but he also isn't going to be be healthy for a full season. I just, I don't believe it. And so I don't, I don't know. I probably should have factored that into my ranking. I think when he's on the field though, he is such clear in a way, the best hitter on this list for me that I, I ended up ranking him first. Do you agree with me that Winker is the best hitter? Uh, I think there's a strong case for it. I think in terms of everything he does at the plate, I, I would bet on him to have a better offensive season than Tyler O'Neill, just because there's a lot less volatility when it comes to the strikeout rate. Um, I think uh, Schwarber might have a case. Uh, I think Eloy, if he reaches his upside, might have a case. But I think if you were to project who it is the best hitter, I would have Winker number one as well. There you go. So some agreement uh, from us. And again, we kind of said that this whole top tier of left field is kind of hard to put in order, but number one, I have them third. Victor has them second. I can't believe I'm about to say this. It's New York Yankees left fielder. He's not even a left fielder. He just is for the Yankees. Now it's Joey Gallo. Victor, we're not giving, we're not doing this. We're not giving him his victory lap. So instead we're going to acknowledge great at defense. He can hit the ball really far and he gets, you know, he walks like a madman. It's great. Okay. Yes. We gave him that. Let's list two things each of why Joey Gallo stinks. I'll go first. Dude can barely hit above the Mendoza line. Literally a coin flip. Is he going to hit over 200? I don't know. Coin flip a coin. You don't know. Can't be the top left builder if he can't hit above 200, right? Okay. Uh, I think my main concern about Gallo would be his injury history. That's a great uh, one. 2019, he missed most of the season. 2020, he was bad and, well, he was bad offensively and got hurt. And I think he got hurt this year. I might be misremembering. So they're kind of stacking up. Oh, no, I don't think he got hurt this year or 2020, actually. Building, Never mind building off of that one a little bit, Yankees, not the best history handling really large outfielders so even if he doesn't have really an injury history anymore he's probably still going to get injured that's just what happens in new york i'm going to go with he wasn't good when he was a yankee and uh maybe he just can't handle the bright lights of new york i'm grasping at straws victor i do not want to have this dude number one all right you I don't think, have- well i will say he's been an extremely streaky offensive player throughout his entire career And that's something that really, I mean, if you're trying to make a real life team and you have to count on a player like Gallo, who you're almost certain will go through months where he has a 180 weighted runs created plus and months with like an 80 weighted weighted runs created plus, it's, it means you're going to have to fill out your lineup with some well-rounded, consistent players around him. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I really want to say. I Congrats, Joey Gallo, top left fielder. Congrats. Number one left fielder. Number one, New York's got him. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just realizing, I'm, I'm just having like a flash forward of as we go through these outfield rankings and New York having another really good outfielder. And depending where we rank Stanton, they might have two. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. This is a nightmare. We should skip out. We should skip out, Bill Victor. Let's not do this. I think it's too late for that. 
Man, if only the Red Sox had an outfield I was more confident in, this would be a lot more fun. <laughs> Our second baseman plays center field pretty well, so we have that going for us, Kike Hernandez. All right. Anyways, that is our left field rankings. I hope you enjoyed it. It's a little funky of a position. Joey Gallo, let me just read some of these other guys we have at the top of positions. Catcher, Will Smith of the Dodgers. First base, we had Vlad Guerrero Jr. Second base, Marcus Simeon. Third base, Jose Ramirez. Shortstop, Fernando Tatis. Joey Gallo. You tell me which name doesn't fit. That Maybe that's how he should put it. So take that for what it is. But that's our left field rankings. That's our baseball talk for the week. And Victor, it's about time we get into this because this weekend, this Sunday, it's Super Bowl Sunday, baby. Let's go. Victor, how excited are you? I'm very excited. I think this is one of the more intriguing Super Bowl matchups that we've had in the recent past, just because the two quarterbacks that are in the game are not players that have established playoff Um uh, history. So I'm, and the two teams aren't teams that have uh, established history like the Patriots or, I mean, the Mahomes is Chiefs or teams like that. So I think it's going to be a really interesting matchup. You know, I was really excited for it until you reminded me that the Patriots didn't make it this year. And, and now I'm a little bit sad, Victor. So thanks for that. But what we thought would be fun to do, it's a classic. You got to do it. At least if you're around me, you're going to be doing it on the Super Bowl. You got to go through some Super Bowl props. So we're going to be doing our game this week. We're, we're starting to do this game every week. Victor chose the game last week, so I got to choose it this week. I've picked 12 Super Bowl props for us. I've, I've, for the most part, what I consider some of the more fun props to pick on, I try to make them as 50-50 as possible. At most, you might find one that's like 60%, 40%. Or I don't, I don't know. They're, they're pretty even, Victor, wouldn't you say? Yes. So what we're going to do, it's just going to be, we were going to do a confidence rankings, but I did such a good job making a 50-50 that I couldn't rank them in confidence. So I said, hey, Victor, I don't know what I'm doing here. So we're just going to go head to head. Whoever gets the most props right wins. I'm not even going to do a tiebreaker because I'm that confident that I'm going to beat you, Victor. <laughs> but if you're listening at home, I encourage you to play along. Maybe write down the props, play it with others. It's a lot of fun to be watching the Super Bowl with some of these plays in, in mind. It's things to look out for. It makes ordinary things a lot more fun. Let's just put it that way. So, of course, when you're doing Super Bowl props, Victor, you've got to start with the national anthem over under. This year's over under has risen all the way to 104 and a half seconds. So what that means is if it's 105 seconds or longer, it's over. And if it's 103 seconds or sorry, 104 seconds or shorter, it's under. So Victor, did you pick the over or the under for the national anthem? I picked the under. I would be very intrigued to see data on how long it takes to sing the national anthem, but just from just from what I would have expected, I don't think it should take more than 105 seconds. So I went with the under. Let's just say if Victor or I were singing it, it would be under because we'd want to get off that stage <laughs> as quickly as possible. We'd be going under. But some data, this is actually one of the lower over-unders the national anthems ever had. We've had some in the past that were a lot longer. The, the singer this year is, I think, an up-and-coming country music star. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. I can't even remember her name, but I do know that she's sung two previous national anthems. They both came in at a minute 30, which is 90 seconds. 
Now, how much is she going to milk the clock for the Super Bowl? That remains to be seen. But I am going to decide with her history, and I'm going to take the under with Victor. Now, I will say, though, this opened much lower. It opened much closer to 90 seconds. And the fact that it's gone up this high this fast means to me that there's been a leak with how long her rehearsals have been. And there always is a leak every Super Bowl about how long the national anthem is going to be. And it usually is dead on. So I'm thinking it's pretty long compared to her past, but I'm going to hope that Vegas put it higher than the leak was. And I'm going to side with the under, but that's the national anthem. The other prop that you have to have whenever you're doing this, and it's a true 50, 50, it's the coin toss heads or tails, Victor. So far, we both have the under. Are we both going to pick the same thing? I went with tails never fails. That was my logic. <laughs> I took tails. What are you taking for the coin toss? Uh, I went with heads for the coin toss. Just no, no rationale at all. What about this rationale? Sometimes they put like some commemorative thing. Well, they always do this on the coin and they probably would call that side the head side. Do you think that would make the head side heavier and thus more likely to be the bottom side? I I don't even want to start speculating on the, <laughs> the way the coin is weighted. Okay, fine. It's a, it's 50-50 proposition. Okay, I took tails. Victor took heads. It's our only difference so far. But moving on, we're getting into the game finally. This is one of my favorite to do. It's a very exciting one, I find. Is the first play of the game going to be a pass or a run? You first, Victor. Uh, I went with a run just... I think regardless of which team gets the ball, they'll want to start on the ground, I'm feeling. I agree with you. Now, I think the data actually says that this is often a pass, and both these teams throughout the playoffs have been favoring the pass on the first play, but the Super Bowl tends to be pretty conservative. I think both these teams are teams that like to run. One in particular, the Bengals, likes to run more than they probably should. And so I think... (laughs) I'm going to side with the run here. Although I do think if you're looking at the Vegas odds, I think pass might be favored just because of some of the historical data, but I agree with Victor here. It's going to be a run. I don't know which team. Uh, yeah. It's going to, I'm going to say it's going to be Joe Mixon just to, just to make my prediction a little more specific than Victor, um, but, but moving on. Okay. This is a, this is one that you're not going to see on many prop lists, but it's one I really like. Will there be a score in the first five minutes of the game? That's not including the five minute marker. So that'd be four. Ah, sure. We'll include it. Five minutes or less. Will there be a score? That's field goal, touchdown, safety, anything. Yeah, I am saying there will be a score in the first five minutes. I feel fairly confident that either one of the teams will have a score within their first possession. Now, another one we differ on. This is one that's almost counterintuitive. This happens a lot in the Super Bowl. It takes the teams a while to get going. So this is one I actually have a little bit of data on, Victor, on my side a little bit. I put this one in here as a little bit of a trick because this is one that everyone's like, of course, someone will score that fast. You typically see this prop a lot higher, but this year it seemed like it was lower. I saw one person saying, take the yes in the first three minutes and 50 seconds, which I think is the craziest bet ever. Don't don't do that if you saw that person's (laughs) advice. Do not do that. This is almost always a no score this year. I think that people are saying there's a little more likelihood just because of the, who the teams are, but I'm going to side with history, Victor. I'm a little hopeful on here. I think I've got one over on you fell into my little trap. (laughs) This is why you don't let me make the games every week, but I'm going to go with no score in the first five minutes. I've said all that. And of course there's going to be a score. Okay. First play too. 
First play? Okay. That would really suck. <laughs> Will it be a kickoff return for a touchdown or a muffed kick safety? Something like that. Muffed kick, definitely. Okay, yeah. If that oh, happens, boy, I'm just going to quit. I'll give you the whole win. <laughs> I'll give you the whole win. If they not only muff the kick, but it leads to a score, um, you get the win. <laughs> so you heard, you heard it here. If that happens, I'll, I'll, I'll give Victor the win, even if I sweep every other category. All right. Jersey number of the first touchdown score over under 11 and a half. So off the top of my head, the under would be Cooper Cup. It would be both quarterbacks. It would be Jamar Chase. I don't know if there is anyone else, but that would be Odell. Odell. Yep. That's, uh, yep. That's a good one. Um, That would be the under. I think everyone else is probably over. Yeah. I'll be taking the under here. I feel pretty good about the Rams uh, scoring the first touchdown. And I think it'll definitely be either cup or um, Odell. I'm not anticipating a very good run running day for, for the Rams or the Bengals really. Interesting. I'm, I'm taking the over and it's because I'm betting on both running backs. I just, (laughs) I I just didn't have this idea in my head. This is going to be a really conservative game. And so there's going to be a lot more running than there should be. I think that swings a little bit in favor, but I do think the mathematical better bet in this case may actually be the side you're on Victor. This is me more going with my gut. So maybe you just clawed your way back from you falling into my trap. I've fallen into my own trap now. I'm taking, I'm taking the over 11 and a half. Oh, you're like, oh, wow. I'm getting all the numbers from 12 to hundred. Yeah. But you're not getting any of the best players. You're not getting either quarterback or the best three receivers on the field. I guess I'm rooting for T Higgins or a running back, or maybe the tight ends are healthy. We'll see. But I'm taking the over there. All right. Now we're about halfway through prop number six. What happens halfway through the Super Bowl, Victor? It's the halftime show. You got to have a halftime show prop. I went over under nine and a half songs. I think there's like nine and a half artists performing this year. So if they each get a song, that's nine and a half. Okay. I think it's more like five or six. I'm not actually sure off the top of my head, but Victor, did I you go it was with four artists? Four. Okay. Did you go over under nine and a half songs? This isn't I a complete went... song. It's like, if you hear the song at all, like a 10 second snippet of it, I'm counting it as a song. I think. I went over just because of the volume of how many artists they're going to have there. So I was anticipating all of them, at least getting a couple of songs that um, they, they made themselves. So I went with the over. I'm also going with the over. There tends to be this thing where they kind of just pound through songs at a point and you get like five or six in real quick uh, concession. So was that the right word? That didn't feel like the right word. In succession. In succession. What the heck did I say? <laughs> Concessions? <laughs> what does that mean? Okay. Not does I know what the word concession means. I mean, what did I mean when I said it? Okay, <laughs> people, I don't need I don't need anyone tweeting me. They're singing the songs at the concession line. <laughs> All right, we're both going with the over. That surprises me. I, I told this to my wife, and she's like, that's the easiest under I've ever heard. But I think there's more songs than you realize during a halftime show. But that's a fun one. You'll be anticipating the songs. It makes the show a little more fun. So over nine and a half songs for both of us. All right. The next one, we're starting to get to most of these. We won't know till the end of the game. So the first of those, will the game end with the final play being a kneel down? I took... I think I just made you reveal your pick first, like 10 in a row. <laughs> so, <laughs> my bad. I think I've only revealed first once. I'll reveal first this time. I'm saying the game will not end on a knee, even though the math says and Vegas says it's more likely that it will. 
I'm riding with the way the playoffs have been played. Like in the last five games, we've all or six games, we've had like one kneel down. That's horrible math. That's straight up a gambler's fallacy. <laughs> but I'm taking it. I'm taking it. Um, won't end on a knee. I want a close game. I don't want it to end on a knee. So I'm selfishly taking the game will not end on a knee. What about you, Victor? I went with the game will end on a knee. Um, I guess this kind of portrays how we're viewing how this game will go. I think the Rams will win by, I want to say multiple scores. That might be a little aggressive, but I think they're going to win fairly handily. And I think the game is going to end on a knee one way or another with uh, Matt Stafford. We definitely are seeing this game differently. So I definitely know we'll be on a different side coming in with our uh, ninth prop. But before we get to the ninth prop, our eighth prop, over, under, two, and this is like my favorite prop in the whole Super Bowl. This one's so fun. You never know when it's going to happen. And if it does go over, it's an absolute electric moment. So will (laughs) there be over two and a half players that attempt slash throw a pass? I went with the under here. Ah, uh, Victor is being boring. The under of Joe Burrow and Matt Stafford. No, Victor. When OBJ throws that pass, me and all the other overtakers are going to be celebrating over. You got to have a little fun in your life, Victor. Come on. Over two and a half. I'm I definitely rooting it for, t- for it to be an over. And honestly, with Odell's now, track record. I don't believe that. You're too competitive. <laughs> By the way, I just heard in my ears a couple, like uh, more like 30 seconds ago, I am up in my draft right now. And so I'm really worried about who's available. Oh. I'll deal with that after the podcast, that uh, annoying fa- uh, fan tracks horn that is also very helpful. But Victor goes under two and a half players, like a complete lame I encourage everyone else who's listening, take the over. It'll be an electric moment when OBJ throws a pass. Doesn't even need to be complete. He just needs to throw it. All right, now we get to the, the traditional props. The, they're not even props. These are like actual, like what people bet on. The spread for this game, it's four and a half points. If you take the Rams, they need to not only win, but win by at least four and a half points, so five or more. If you take the Bengals, they, they either need to win or lose by four or less points. I can answer what Victor has already, I'm pretty sure. Victor's taking the Rams, and I think he's doing it with authority. I, of course, I think the game's going to be close. I'm taking the Bengals. And this is my entire case, Victor, and I don't think you're going to find this compelling at all. I'm just going to say that, but I have not heard a single smart, well-thought-out reason for why the Bengals will win this game. I have not heard a single expert pick the Bengals and explain it in a will way, or in a will way. I told you I was tired at the beginning, and it's starting to show here as it gets to the end. But I haven't heard a single expert. Uh, pick the Bengals, and if they have, they have certainly haven't explained it in a compelling way. So, obviously, then I have to pick the Bengals. That's just the way these things tend to work out when we're overlooking a team like this. But the spread in Vegas is telling us that it's going to be a close game. There's probably something to the Bengals that no one is seeing, and so my head definitely agrees with Victor here. But no, everyone's head does. So I've got to fade the public. I'm going with the Bengals plus four and a half. Victor, was I right? You are taking the Rams. I didn't even yeah, like you I, say. I like the Rams taking in this spread, but I will say for your argument in the Super Bowl, the underdogs have a very good track record of covering the spread. So I think historic, the history might be on your side, even if the, the betting market might not be. You love to hear that. 
Now the other prop from the betting market, again, it's not technically a prop for you, for you semantical people out there. The over under 40 and uh, 48 and a half points. Will the game be, will there be 49 or more total points or will there be 48 or less Victor? What do you got? I went with the under here. I have a bit of a hard time seeing seven is a seven or plus I was seeing more than seven, seven or more touchdowns being scored. I'm also taking the under. I'm uh, doing a little bit of a correlated play here. If the game goes under, that theoretically means the game should be closer and it should benefit a percent or two. The Bengals being within four and a half points, the more the games will blow out, the more that benefits the favorite. So I'm sticking with the under. I, when I say correlate, I'm literally talking like I've got like a percent or two edge in this case. But <laughs> that's what you need in these contests against victory. It pushes you to your limit. Okay, now uh, I have listed 11th here, a classic. Let's, uh, we'll, let's end with that one, actually. So let's do number 12 here, the Super Bowl MVP. The two sides I'm giving you, you either have to pick uh, the QBs or the other, which I think would basically be like Jamar Chase or Aaron Donald. So, Victor, are you saying both QBs or one of the two QBs will win the Super Bowl MVP or are you taking the field on this prop? I am going to go with other here. Uh, I think, I just think that the game's not going to be that high scoring. I don't think either quarterback is going to have too much of an opportunity to put up huge numbers. And I think uh, maybe someone like Cooper Cup or Aaron Donald or Jamar Chase, even T. Higgins, maybe if uh, if the game goes in his direction, might be able to put up a performance that'll get him the MVP. I completely agree with you. Actually, I'm taking the under. I think if the Rams win, there's a super likely chance there and Donald gets the MVP as sort of like a legacy thing. I also think the Rams route to victory is rushing less, but Donald still getting consistent pressure on. Um, sorry, I just realized when I say rushing, I don't mean Cam Akers rushing. That also, I think, is a key to the Rams success. I mean, less blitzing is what I meant. I think that the key will be how well does Aaron Donald play the answer is he will play well because he's that good. Mm-hmm. How much havoc can he wreak? Uh, man, I am really losing. <laughs> we got to we gotta start to wrap this up. How much havoc will he cause against Joe Burrow? I think it will be quite a bit. So if the Rams win, and if I'm wrong about my other ones, I feel pretty good about, about Donald winning the MVP. I do think Cooper Cup, obviously, is another one. I think he would have won it last week, for example, and not Stafford, had, um, had that been the Super Bowl. As far as the Bengals winning, I feel less great about it not being an MVP for Burrow just because like he's the face of the Bengals in such a large way that it's it's hard to see another one going. But you were right that T. Higgins is a sneaky upside pick for MVP. He's got an extremely easy matchup, especially if the Rams decide to focus on Chase, the one-on-one man-to-man matchup that T. Higgins has against the Rams cornerback, it's heavily favors Higgins. I think another extra prop that's not on here. Higgins' longest reception, I think that's a really good uh, pick for longest reception this game, T. Higgins. I think he's real sneaky, so I'm glad you brought him up. Now, the final one, it's the classic, <laughs> the Gatorade color. Are you taking, I gave the two team colors, the, I paired them up together. So you either can take on one side, Victor disagrees. I picked the team colors. I am colorblind, Victor. So, okay. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm saying on one side, you have red and black. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you have 
you have orange and blue, or you get any other color. And the real reason I picked blue, and this, this is why I'm assuming, Victor, are you saying or you would have picked yellow and not blue? As no, I was actually, I thought these were just the two most common uh, colors of Gatorade. I wasn't even thinking oh. about them being team colors. <laughs> they might so be. I, was... <laughs> uh, I will say that orange is the like prohibitive betting favorite right now. So are you taking orange slash blue or are you taking the field, which is uh, from what I can think of is like clear and then like yellow, that yellow green color. Yeah. I'm taking orange blue here just because I feel like I've seen those colors in Gatorade more often <laughs> in my own personal life. I think you're right too. If you look at the history, I think orange comes up the most often. I think that's why it's the favorite. I also think the Bengals being an orange team makes people want to bet on it more. I did see though, that the Gatorade CEO, now I didn't see this from like the wall street journal. I found this in a random article. So who knows if this is true, <laughs> but he said they don't pick it by team color. They randomize it every year to keep people guessing, but it, it randomizes orange a lot. And, you know, we have a, our own wheel that we use to randomize some of the games we play, Victor, and that wheel hates me. So I'm not sure how <laughs> random it is. So could it be orange? Could it be blue? I don't, I don't know how many other colors there are, maybe, but I'm going to take the other. If it's purple, I'll be shocked. Remember last year, <laughs> that was the rumor. It was like, it's going to be purple for Prince. Or that was either last year or two years ago. It wasn't. I think it was clear, but... Yep, I'm I'm excited to see what the Gatorade color is. Just a little extra moment from our prop game that normally kind of goes by without you thinking of it. I really like doing props for the Super Bowl. It keeps the game a little more interesting. But that's our NFL prop game. So we're going to finally transition here and give me a little rest as my head is slowly imploding on itself. The closing of our show, instead of doing what are we looking forward to this week in sports, we're doing what are we looking forward to in the Super Bowl for this week. So, Victor, you go first. I don't know if I made it, if I didn't make it all that clear, but I do have money on the Rams. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to them winning. Uh, that that would be the optimal outcome for me. Also looking forward to a good game. I, I do think that even though I think the Rams will win by more than five points, I think it'll be competitive for most of the game. I do want to make it clear because this has not been made clear on this podcast that Victor lives in New Jersey. He goes to Rutgers. So he is legally betting on this game. He's legally putting money on the Rams. So I don't want to be getting in trouble because Victor's betting on his little side bookie that everyone else has. No, Victor's doing it legal. New Jersey's got it going on. I have no money on the game. It's not legal in Massachusetts. I just have pride on the line as I'm looking to extend my winning streak to three. That's not what I'm looking forward to, though. I'm looking forward to Victor blowing his lead in oh. our Super Bowl <laughs> contest or our our playoff contest we've been running here. Victor is in first by nine points, but he doesn't have Jamar Chase. So I'm hoping for a big chase game to chase down Victor, who has Mixon and Cup. The person in second has Chase and Cup. So I'm looking forward to Victor blowing that lead and then also of course losing to me in the super bowl contest <laughs> it'll be a celebratory week next week for me on the saint victory podcast but as always that's our show you can find both of us on twitter i'm at ut streamer victors at awesome victor aa on your way out be sure to do all the things i always say to do rate like the podcast give it five stars nothing less mm -hmm. if it is going to be less you tell us why it's going to be less and you don't put it there publicly we need the five star ratings it helps the podcast out a lot it helps us get listeners outside our circle of social connections so uh, as always do that 
And thanks for listening. Sound the victory trumpets. Mm-hmm.